All right, church, good morning to the few that are with us this morning here at the church. Good morning, and for all of those watching out on Facebook, uh, we want to wish you a uh, happy good morning as well. I want to thank Austin for uh, the children's sermon, and I know he works hard on that during the week, and so hopefully you guys, you kids, uh, are getting something good from that as well. I want to thank uh, Dell and, and, and the band uh, this morning for all that they are doing. You know, we've been getting a lot of positive comments on our worship services for those that have been uh, watching on Facebook. And so I, I'm very thankful that you guys are enjoying this worship time. Um, let's don't take it for granted. Amen. Uh, yeah, we can still worship in our, in our homes. We can still worship in that security. Uh, but I, I can't speak for everyone, but I'm really ready to start seeing people back at church. Uh, and I think all of my pastor friends through the association, I can't speak for them either. Uh, but I think we are, that, that, that feeling of being together, uh, we miss that. And, and, and uh, we want to follow guidelines, and we want to make sure that people are, are healthy, and we want to make sure that people uh, are safe, and, and no doubt that is a great need. Um, but we're also missing having that corporate worship experience uh, with one another. So keep praying for uh, God to heal our lands. Uh, keep praying for uh, our government officials that are making decisions. It's not an easy job um, because uh, you're— you're either going to be uh, wrong or you're going to be right with every decision that you make. Uh, and, and pray for your, your church family. Uh, pray for uh, all the churches within Hardin County and the surrounding areas. This is a, uh, a time in our history that we have just never seen before. And, um, and, and so we are, we are learning on the fly. And so continue to pray for all the churches, their leaders, your church family. Uh, and your neighbors, uh, the course, that live right beside you. I pray that you have a Bible with you this morning. I want you to open that Bible up to the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at John 21, verses 1 through 17 this morning is where our sermon will come from. And the title of the sermon this morning is Overcoming the Failures of Our Sin. And I think this is something that all of us need to hear, because all of us, if we're honest, we have been here before. And as we go throughout the scripture, I'm sure it's easy to see ourselves to where we're headed this morning. I've been approached by this for many people in my 12 years, almost 12 years of ministry. You know, pastor, how do I overcome some of my failures? How do I overcome some of the sins that, that I have led into my life or that I am still dealing with? And so I pray this morning this is something that we can use as we learn together. So John chapter 21 verses 1 through 17 is where we will be coming from this morning. Tell you a quick story. Real, real quickly, there were two Kentucky horse racing stable owners. They had developed this, uh, this keen rivalry between each other. And each spring, they both entered a horse in a local steeplechase. One of them thought they, that having a professional rider might give his horse an, an edge. So he, he goes out and he hires this hot shot uh, jockey for this, for this race. Well, the day of the race finally came, and as usual, the, the two horses were leading the race right down to the last fence. But that final fence was too much for, for both of the horses. 
Both of them fell, and both of the riders were, were thrown off their horses, but that did not stop the professional jockey. He remounted quickly, and he easily won the race. When he got back to the stable, though, he, he found the, the, the horse owner was fuming, was mad, was, was rageful, and he really didn't understand his behavior because he had just won this race. So the jockey asked, he said, what's the matter with you? I won the race, didn't I? And the red-faced owner, he, he nodded, oh, oh yeah, you, you won the race, but you won on the wrong horse. The jockey had the best of intentions. I'm a little distracted when he off the horse. He made a, a bad decision, and ultimately he failed in what he was really trying to do. You know, if, if you think about it, a lot of times our Christianity, this journey that we're on, we start off strong. We have great intentions. We're excited about what God is going to do in our lives, and we intend on finishing the race, and all of a sudden we, we hit a wall. We fall off the horse. Bad influences start creeping into our lives. We, we make a bad decision. We make two bad decisions, or we experience a, a challenge or a setback that we don't handle in a Christ-like manner. Anybody ever had that happen? And then we become distracted from our faith. And we experience a spiritual decline in our relationship with Jesus. It starts to suffer. Well, there's an apostle that fits this mold perfectly in some regard, and most of us already know his story. When he started following Jesus, he left everything that he had. He followed Jesus from town to town. He witnessed his love. He witnessed his mercy. He witnessed his divine power of, of healing and forgiveness. And this apostle even got to the point in his life that he told Jesus on a couple of occasions, he said, Jesus, I will never abandon you, and I would even be willing to follow you, Jesus, even if it meant death for me. Well, Peter was bold. Peter was brash, he was willing, he spoke quickly, he seemed to be ready to follow Jesus anywhere and, and everywhere, but something happened to Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed and handed over to the Jewish leaders. You ever notice that a lot of times we can look back on our life and we can pinpoint certain situations that happened in our life and we'll say, you know what, that was the sticking point for me. That's when my walk with God started to suffer. That's when my relationship with Jesus started to decline. It's easy to look back and the older you get, the more those situations start to occur in your life, don't they? Peter went through one of these. And the Bible tells us in John 18, 18, that the slaves and the officers had made a charcoal fire to warm themselves, and Peter was there warming himself as well, the Bible says. And Jesus told Peter, he said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And guess what happened? Peter denied Jesus three times in front of people on that very night. Peter failed. He had a failure in his life. He failed Jesus. 
He publicly denied him three times because of what? Fear. How many of us have ever denied Jesus because of fear? We get fearful of what people are going to say. We get fearful because of what somebody's actions are going to be when they know that we're a Christian. We get fearful and we don't want to let people know, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I go to church. Yes, my life is based off what the Bible wants for me. And so many times we, we just don't say anything at all because we don't want to stick out. We don't want to be the black sheep. We don't want people to think lowly of us. And so we, we run from that conversation. Or maybe we even say, well, you know, I, I go to church, but, you know, I really don't believe. I'm not hardcore. It's just something that, that, that I kind of do. Well, many must think of Peter. What a failure Peter was. He denied Jesus. I mean, how could Peter ever be restored, Right? I mean, the Bible tells us, you deny me in front of people, then I'll deny you in front of my what? In front of my father. And so what kind of, of hope did, did, did Peter have? How could he ever be restored? How could he ever be forgiven? And well, here's the thing. This wasn't the end of Peter's spiritual journey. And so today, as we look to God's word for instruction on how we might overcome the failures of our own sinfulness, I believe the story of Peter is a perfect example of who we should try to be. Let's read John chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Listen to the word of God. And it says this, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now we're talking about the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they, they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And, and he calls out to them. He says, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The, the same Peter, remember, that, that, that tried to walk to Jesus before on water, but he failed then as well. Now he's saying, oh, it's Jesus, I'm going to swim to him. And so he jumps off the boat. Verse 8, the other disciple followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. That's a long swim, though, for Peter. And when they landed, they, they saw a fire burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. Simon Peter, he climbed aboard and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus 
came, he took the bread, he gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. I want you to envision you're watching this conversation taking place at this very moment between Jesus and Peter. I want you to put yourself on the shore of Galilee, and I want you to envision this conversation that's going on, this intimate conversation that's going on between two individuals. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, and I wonder if Peter's voice weakened. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Bible says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've made. We, we thank you for this story of Peter. Father, how people can fail, but yet can be restored. Father, it gives us hope. And in a time of all of the surrounding issues that are going on in our country and in our world right now, people need hope. And so, Father, we continue to pray that you will heal our lands, and Lord, when you do, that you receive that glory. And Father, I continue to pray as we go through this pandemic that people will continue to draw closer to you. They will be in your word. They will be on their knees. They'll be singing praises unto you. And some may say, how can we sing praises in such a time? Well, he is still the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's still creator. He's still our sustainer. He still sits on the throne. And God is good. And all that he has done for us throughout time continues to prove this. And so, Father, I pray that you use this sermon this morning to touch hearts, Lord. Father, convict us of our sin. Convict us, Lord, of change that needs to happen in our life. And encourage us, dear God, today. Move among us. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Henry Ford once said, and I, and I quote, The only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. I think that says a lot in a few words. You know, as we go through life, we're, we're all going to make some mistakes. But it's what we learn from our mistakes that helps us, it molds us, it shapes us to be better people while we mature in our walk with Jesus Christ. So what must we know to overcome the failures of sin? Well, first, we need to understand, number one, no one is exempt from the failures of sin. Amen? No one is exempt from the failures of sin. 
Peter was chosen by Jesus to be an apostle. He walked, he talked, he ate, he fellowshiped, he learned, he grew spiritually through the years that he had followed Jesus from town to town, from shore to shore. Peter knew the greatness and the divinity of Jesus. Peter told Christ, he said, you are the Son of God. Peter was in what many people consider the inner circle with Jesus. But he let Jesus down. You know, God understands our tendencies to sin. He knows our weaknesses. He knows my weakness. He knows your weakness. There's going to be times in our lives that we let Jesus down. The good news is, is that Christ still loves us. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail. He said, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus knows there's going to be times in our lives that we fail him. The late Billy Graham, he once said these words. He said, you and I will never be perfect in this life. As long as we live on this earth, we will still be sinners, and our ability to commit sin will always be in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.8 from Billy Graham in the Bible. You know, becoming a Christian, it doesn't give us a license to sin. The Apostle Paul told the Christians in Rome, he said, we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? And our Christianity, is, it isn't a, a crutch or a way out when you decide to act in a way that doesn't exhibit who you really are. You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm a Christian, so I'll live like I want to live on Friday night and Saturday night, and then I'll go to church on Sunday, and I'll ask God, forgive me for my, for my sinfulness. Forgive me, Lord, for my iniquities. Well, being a Christian is not a crutch for your sinfulness. It's not a crutch. The failures of sin are bound to happen whether they are in thought, in action, or in word, but how will you ever overcome that sinfulness? Will you turn to Jesus for genuine forgiveness, or will you just continue to live with the failure, with the failure, with the failure, with the failure? And many times what we do, we lie to ourselves and we tell ourselves, God is not big enough to overcome my sinfulness. God is not big enough to overcome my failures. And that is exactly what Satan wants you to believe. But it's not true. Amen? So number one, no one is except, exempt from the failures of sin. The second key to overcoming our sinful failures is the promise of this. Jesus never abandons his relationship with who? With you. Jesus is never going to abandon you. Jesus had watched them fish. And not only did he watch them fish, but what else did he do? He provided for them he provided. He said, come and have breakfast. And then he fellowshiped with them. Hebrews 13.5, the Bible says, Never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you. 
No matter how you have failed, no matter what sin that you have allowed in your life, the Savior who died for you still loves you, and He will not abandon you. I can promise you that. He still wants to sit down with you. He still wants you to talk with Him, to be with Him. Because it's only through those moments of sharing and communication that the failure can be addressed and that it can be resolved. You know, I, I think sometimes we tell ourselves, well, Jesus can't see it. I think sometimes we tell ourselves, well, Jesus doesn't know about this, or Jesus doesn't know about that. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is omniscient. That Jesus is omnipresent. That Jesus sees all. That Jesus knows all. That there's nothing that can be hidden from His eyes. But we would rather live in an environment where we become numb to the sin than actually present it to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know that you know. Father, help me. People will say, well, how do I get this help? Well, we're continuing to talk about it right now. People will say, I don't need the church. Let me tell you something, brother and sister. You absolutely need the church. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, no, I've been to church and I've been hurt and I've been this and I've, I've had this. Well, maybe you've just not been to the right church. I don't know. The churches are full of people too. We're going to let each other down. They're full of people as well. So don't use that as an excuse. Don't use that as a, as a crutch. Jesus never abandons His relationship with us. So please understand, no matter how you might fail, Jesus is still your Savior. He still loves you, and He still wants to be near to you. The Bible tells us in James, you draw near to Jesus, and Jesus will draw near to who? He will draw near to you. The third key to overcoming our sinful failures is to understand this. And this is a hard one. This is difficult, but hear me. Our sins do have consequences. Our sins do have consequences. Well, Brother Donnie, I thought we were talking about getting over the failures. We are, but we have to speak in truth. Amen? We have to speak it in truth. The spiritual damage that had happened in the life of Peter, it needed to be dealt with, not just swept under the what? Under the rug. It could not hide. So Jesus confronts Peter and he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now whoever says that Jesus doesn't have a personality has never read the Bible. Amen? I believe Jesus is short in this situation. In short, he was helping Peter remember the boldness that he had for him. See, Peter was always ready to act quickly. He talked quickly. He stood up quickly with statements of faith and energy, ready to do anything for Jesus. So I wonder if Jesus, in a roundabout way, was reminding Peter of his past words of how Peter would always stick by Jesus. How he would never fall away, and how he said he would die for him. So Jesus says, do you truly love me more than these? I think Jesus wanted Peter to understand the consequences of his failure, and Peter could not hide it from Jesus. You know, somewhere in those teenage years, and I know there's some teens that are watching us this morning, 
Somewhere in those teenage years, I think a person really starts to understand that their sin affects more than just themselves. And hear me. See, our sins not only affect us, but they affect our families. Our sin, it affects our spouse. It affects our children, our extended families, our co-workers, our friends, our church families, and it affects your walk with Jesus. You know, our first inclination with sin is, I'm just going to hide it. Out of sight, out of mind. And somehow we think that if we just put it out of sight and out of mind and enough time passes, then it won't matter anymore. But I hope you know that approach, it doesn't work. Sin that is hidden and just put aside and not dealt with can still have great consequences, especially in your spiritual life. And then the fourth key to overcoming our sinful nature, our sinful failures, is to understand, number four, you must confront, commit, or confront, admit, and confess your what? Your sin. I'm going to say it again. You must confront, you need to admit, and you need to confess. Now, as Peter sat there with Jesus, he looked at the scenery. There's the Sea of Galilee, there's a charcoal fire, there's food to eat, there's friends around him, there's conversations at hand. Those are what we love, amen? We're missing that at this very moment. We love that social interaction, but I wonder if the comfortable became uncomfortable. When Peter first met Jesus, Jesus had got into Peter's boat, the Bible says. He got in and he taught people. And then Jesus had Peter go out into the deep water. They caught so many fish that the Bible tells us that the boat began to sink. And when Peter saw this, he said to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And now, a few years later, here we are again with Peter and Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Peter is with some of the other disciples fishing, and Jesus calls out to them where to find the fish. They catch a large number of fish in their nets, and the Bible says Peter jumps off the boat and he swims the shore because he knows it's Jesus. And then the Bible inserts, did you notice this? The Bible says, and this is now the third time. Fire eating bread and fish. I wonder what in the world was going through his mind. You know, sometimes we read the Bible just to say we read the Bible. But how many times do you ever get in your Bible and you digest it? You read it slowly and you start wondering what in the world was going through the mind of Peter as he sat there with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Peter knew his sinfulness. Would Jesus look at Peter and say, I am severely disappointed in you, Peter? What would Jesus say? Would he look at him and say, Depart from me, Peter. I, I never knew you. I wonder how warm and safe Peter was feeling at that exact moment. 
Can you imagine how Peter felt knowing that he had denied the Son of God because of his sinful fear? And now here's Jesus for the third time after the resurrection. And he's got to be thinking to himself, Peter has got to be thinking, what in the world was I scared of? What was I scared of? Here is the Son of God. Here is the Savior of the world, the Messiah that conquered death, the Lord that created mankind, and I denied the Creator in front of the created. Think of that. The only thing keeping Peter warm at that point was probably his blood pressure. As it was rising, because I know mine would be, amen? I know mine would be. And I have to wonder if Peter still felt like that sinful man that Jesus first met. <laughs> he had denied Jesus three times on the night of Jesus' arrest, just like Jesus told him that he would. And this had to be weighing heavy on Peter's mind, considering that Jesus had already confronted Thomas about his bout of doubt. And you know that Peter heard that. You know that Peter saw that when Jesus, all of a sudden, here he is behind locked door and he gets into the house and he comes to Peter and he says, Peter, just believe. Or I'm sorry, Thomas, just believe. Quit doubting. You know that Peter had to overhear that conversation. And so now Jesus turns his attention toward denying Peter, much like he had turned his attention toward doubting Thomas. And Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. And notice on the third time, the Bible says that Peter was hurt. Or the King James, it uses the word grieved, in which the Greek means this, to affect with sadness, to cause grief, to throw into sorrow, to offend, to make one uneasy. Well, let me ask you all this. How many of you all, if you had been Peter, would have been uneasy at that very moment? I know I would have been. That third time that Jesus asked the question, do you love me? That did it. Amen. <laughs> that 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 did it. Peter experienced a major undoing. Jesus had made Peter feel very uneasy. It's kind of like when you look at a child and you know they, they did something. You know it. And you ask that first time, did you do it? And they give you a quick no. I didn't do it. You ask again and the tone starts to change just a little bit. You ask again and you can see the emotion and you can see the undoing of the situation and the reality and the truth start to set in because as a parent, you probably already know the truth. At this point, I really believe Peter knew exactly where Jesus was going. See, facing up to oneself can sometimes be a traumatic experience. Traumatic but for Peter to be forgiven, for Peter to be restored back to Jesus, his sin had to be confronted. It had to be admitted. It had to be confessed. And finally, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know this. When Peter denied Jesus three times on that night of Jesus' arrest, Matthew's detail, uh, details of Peter's denial, it gives us the emphasis that each denial 
seemed to build up a negative response until Peter called down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know the man. But now after Jesus asked three times, Peter, do you love me? Each yes emphatically built up Peter's confession that he knew he sinned. That he knew his heart was aching and Jesus could see the very heartbeat of his confession and the genuine love that Peter had for Jesus. First John 1 John 1.9, the Bible tells us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and he will forgive our sin. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. But first we have to admit. We have to admit. We've got to confess. No amount of hiding, no amount of pretending, no amount of sweeping it under the rug can resolve our sinful problems. The only solution is openness and confession with the Lord. And finally, the last point to help us overcome our sinful failures is to know this. Number five, God still has a plan for your life. Amen. God still has a plan for your life. Life. In verses 15 through 17, Jesus tells Peter three times, Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. Yes, Peter failed. He had denied Jesus, but he saw that Jesus still loved him. He understood the consequences. He confronted his sin. So by giving Peter his three-part affirmation, he let Peter know that he still was valuable. To the cause of Christ. He was useful. He did have a purpose. In fact he would still be a great leader. He'd be a great evangelist for the gospel. You know when we fail. There's always going to be outside influences. That love to remind us of our failures. I'm telling you right now. You meet somebody ten times. Have ten interactions with an individual. Nine of them can be great, and one of them can be bad. And what do they remember the most? They remember the one what? They remember the one bad one. Nine were great, but one was bad. But Christ can use those failures to strengthen us. He can use those failures to build up our testimonies. In Psalm 51, King David asked the Lord, he said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. So no matter how you have failed, no matter how you have allowed sin to infect your life, Jesus has a remedy for that sin. He wants to restore that relationship with you. He wants to forgive you. But there are some steps that you have to take. Confront these sins. Admit these sins. Confess these sins. And once you resolve that, God can. And God will restore you and use you to make a difference in His kingdom. You know, if Peter can overcome his failures, what in the world is keeping us from overcoming our own? God still loves you. God still wants to use you. Jesus asked Peter to feed his sheep. What's Jesus asking you to do? What's he asking you to do? 
You know, maybe this morning it begins with a fresh slate. Maybe it begins by dealing with the sins that may be holding us down from doing God's will. Jesus overcame the grave. And Jesus can help us overcome the failures of our sinfulness. For some today, it's going to start with salvation in Jesus. That's where it's going to start. For some, it's going to start with salvation. It's going to start by the need of admitting your sinfulness and asking for forgiveness by believing in Jesus as the risen Messiah and confessing Him as your Lord and as your Savior. For some, that's where it will start at this moment. For Christians, this may mean being honest with yourself. To confront the sins that's weighing you down. To ask for forgiveness and maybe to ask others for help even. For Peter, his failure, his sin, it would not define him. He was renewed. He was refocused. And he was forgiven. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, how we can look in the word and we can see ourselves in the very scripture. And Father, we know that Peter failed, but Lord, we, you still loved him. You, you still forgave him. Father, you, you had a purpose for his life. You restored, Lord, the very meaning of his life. And so, Father, maybe there's some that are watching this morning and they know that they don't have a relationship with you. And Father, it's just as simple as admitting our sinfulness, believing in Christ as the risen Lord, and confessing him. And so, Father, maybe some are praying that very prayer at this very moment. For those of us that are in Jesus, Lord, maybe it's, it's time to be honest with ourselves. We know the sinfulness that's holding us down. We, we know the failures, Lord, that's keeping us from doing your, your will. And so, Father, maybe this morning we get down on bended knee. Father, we ask for strength. We ask for comfort. We ask for guidance in discernment. Lord, that you will forgive us. Father, that you will strengthen us. And Lord, that you'll put people around us, Father, to help hold us accountable. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for restoration. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.